Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. All right, here we go. Our guest today is Henning Kruse, Senior Manager at PwC Deutschland. In his role as a Senior Manager for Technical Cybersecurity at PwC, His work has involved leading large security transformation programs, defining security architectures, and conducting attack vector analysis for multiple clients. Henning has more than eight years of experience in the fields of network security, OT security, automotive industry, and security operations. He has enabled several clients to establish the security organizations, and his advisory roles have spanned security architecture designs, network concepts, and security risk management. We are very much looking forward to learning from Henning's experience. Henning, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you, David. We're very happy to have you. So let's start with a personal question. Can you please share with our listeners how you moved into the field of cybersecurity and leading large security transformation programs, defining security architectures for multiple clients, etc.? Yes, that's an interesting story, I think. So personally, I'm, I'm coming from a technical perspective to the cybersecurity topic as I think many of us are. But as you know, there's like some discrepancy often between like business thinking and, and the technical thinking. And uh, we technical people especially tend to be very much into details also, uh, into the technical details, solving problems and all that stuff. I think what brought me also to that security transformational part is that I try to, to combine both perspectives. And I'm a Pretty much problem solving guy I would say and I try as a technical person I try to do the exact opposite of what I just told you so uh, I try to simplify things and I, I try really to know how to get to a solution here um, without like of course uh, missing the details and we need these people uh, going into the details here but if you're talking about the the large-scale transformations actually, I think it's very important to have a good overview on what you want to achieve. And for me personally, I think like simplification is one key thing that you have to do if security projects get too large. Another one is actually to define measures that actually scale across organizations, across products, across like uh, infrastructures that you have. Because as security people, and I think we're going to dig into that, we're usually overwhelmed by everything around us, like vulnerabilities all over the place. We have so many things we'd like to do, but keeping a clear eye on what is important and what actually scales across your organization or the scope you want to have, um, I think that is a very important point and that's what I try to implement in the projects I do. Interesting. So it wasn't from the early days in the playground. <laughs> uh, I, I'm like a technical person from childhood, yes, but uh, so I've went to university, of course, studied information systems and um, coming from there, 
so to say. Yeah. And I tried, of course, to, to like, I think the first experience is hacking video games, like trying, uh, not usually, not the usual cheat code, but reprogramming it. So like, if you build a house, it gives you 100 gold instead of taking gold from you. So things like that were probably my first teenage experiences in cybersecurity. Nice. Interesting. I have a similar story. When I was growing up, there was a guy in my neighborhood. No one knew his name. We just knew he came from Russia. So all the kids called him the Russian. And we would go to him and he would teach us how to hack games and, and do exactly the things you mentioned. So I can relate. Hmm. Uh, should we be talking about hacking video games on this podcast, Somi? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's ancient history. Everything was partially legal. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, it was uh, there's a seven-year uh, statute of limitations, so we're all okay. So, honey, so you, you have some solid experience in the fields of network security, OT security, and automotive security. So what are some of the most exciting trends that you are seeing today in these areas? Let me maybe start with, I'm not sure if I could call it a trend, but what I see overall um, and what, what I think is increasingly important in these fields is the topic of automation in general. And the trends then would be like AI, of course, everybody's talking about it. Uh, software-defined networking, another very interesting topic, I think, in the recent years that is coming into play here. Um, but I think the overall topic would be automation, actually, because we have this increasing talent gap in cybersecurity. And we have increasing complexity of, of products, of infrastructures. And then we're talking about like zero trust and, and concepts that really force us to go down very deep and build complex security solutions. So this is something I think automation is the only enabler we need in order to proceed that way and, and to provide these solutions. You can't think like zero trust without automating some kind of your security operations or having software-defined networks because it will just be too complex or too much effort to actually manage that afterwards. So when I say like AI, I think uh, big use cases already deployed here are in, in the security operations in analyzing big data sets, like talking about CM and SOC solutions where we actually can uh, leverage AI to enhance or augment the human analysts and, and give them the tools they need to become more efficient in, in their work and even quicker in the response as well. So improving the security overall. And I mentioned SDN as coming from the network perspective, software-defined networking, which is another great trend, I think, that is not so often spoken about at the moment, but it's like slightly coming in every business and every enterprise because uh, all the vendors of like the network hardware, you know, the Cisco's, HP's, IBM's of the world are implementing it in their network solution and it helps you to be more efficient and have more control of your network infrastructures, of also your security appliances you, that you would usually have there. So um, these are some technology jumps we're going to see in the next years that will really bring us forward and that we desperately need also for what we want to achieve. And maybe let me add another perspective as well as having talked about two more technical things. You mentioned the automotive industry and I think what is what we see there from a regulatory perspective is also uh, some kind of a trend when we talk about liability. So product liability uh, for me is like a very interesting regulatory trend 
also something uh, I think many industries are looking forward to, especially like I think automotive industry is one very good example of it, talking about automated driving, autonomous driving, and then having not the driver being liable anymore, but actually the, the software vendor or the, the OEM. Very interesting. And I think especially in the context of what you said at the beginning, that organizations need to find the places where, you know, the impact is most significant when it comes to cybersecurity. So when you take into account all the technologies you mentioned, automation, AI, etc., I think the real challenge will be to figure out how to use them correctly to to achieve these goals, because otherwise it's just automation for the sake of automation, right? I find that really interesting. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, I know you've written articles about generative AI, and you mentioned it just now. So how do you think specifically AI can be used to improve the security of devices, products, and, and vehicles? And what are the potential dangers in your mind? So starting with the like helping and the beneficial part of the AI uh, and also like continuing where I just stopped is the automating part. And I'd like to say finding the needle in the haystack. This is what a security analyst would do. And especially in a product context where we get more and more data, also data maybe from a user context that is more and more sophisticated actually to decide whether something is security relevant or not. This is a great use case for AI to being very helpful to the security teams and doing these analysis. I think there are some other ones that are also interesting as use cases in the products like uh, biometry, like uh, facial recognition, stuff like that. But I don't want to dive into that too deeply. So yeah, that, that is one great example for AI that was, will help us in the future. Talking about the dangers, because you ask also for the dangers of AI. And I think, again, many people are talking about that right now. In a product context, usually when we talk about consumer products, cars, all that stuff, um, we are also automatically talking about personal data. And uh, I want to make this an example here, maybe, because I think AI and personal data can be very difficult to combine if like you you have personal data in an AI model it will not follow the like usual technology approach that we have for example regarding the the European GDPR uh, where you have the right to access data or even the right to delete the data as a user how would you divide uh, delete the data from an AI model afterwards as it's not in a usual database anymore. So that is definitely like some danger we'll see when we talk about products and the AI. And connect to that, I think, the general thing of access to data. So if an AI model has access to data that's not supposed to have, it can be a good tool to actually bring the data into the hands of an adversary or, or an attacker. So access control becomes more important even in the AI age. It's interesting. One of the things I'm concerned about, I mean, that I think about when I think about the potential dangers is also the fact that the hackers will be using AI to yes. try to get in and they'll be taking advantage of the fact that they have all of this, these new 
you know, ideas maybe, and maybe even methods that might come out of AI of how they can then hack into automobiles or, you know, critical infrastructure and things like that. What do you, what do you think? Certainly, most certainly, yes. Different use cases also for their attackers that we see with AI. What I talked about with the automation, of course, also counts for the attackers, right? So even our attacker groups becoming more efficient in what they do. So being able to running their attacks on a larger scale, maybe being more sophisticated. Phishing is one of the most tangible use cases, I think. Generative AI would be able to have good phishing or craft good phishing emails, which is one use case, I think. Yeah, following that, you have to think about the defense of these attacker tools. How is the defense different if the attacker uses AI as a weapon, as a tool to craft that? And what information is actually also covered in the AI? Like, imagine hackers using like AI for reconnaissance. What information can they actually retrieve from that? Right. And I think also maybe you mentioned data and information. So, you know, if they're trying to get into a particular device, it's it's potential, especially now that a lot of governments are requiring SBOM software bill of materials, that they will be able to get a hold of the ingredient list of what software is actually inside of some of these devices. And, and that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, how can product security teams better collaborate with engineering teams to build secure products by design? Yeah, that's actually a good question because I think what, what we actually need is the, the actual security engineer. So a person that is part of the engineering team that is very closely working with the product engineers, software engineers, but being a security person. So I would say what we actually need is the the interdisciplinarity in this team here, um, bringing both together and not having like security as a corporate function uh, while having business units developing products uh, on their own. And afterwards, there's a security person say that says, well, you can't deploy that because uh, it has certain security flaws. So I think that is one very crucial point here. And the second is the security people to understand the risk that comes with the product and putting it to a context, making it tangible. So not only talking about specific vulnerabilities, but bringing it to real real risk. I'll give you an example here, for instance. So when we talk about cars, remember the time when it was possible to like break into a car by a like hanger for clothes or a wire like just opening the door from the outside yep. by having a wire <laughs> uh and and like pulling up the uh i the used lock. to do it when i lost my keys or i left them in somebody's <laughs> house yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so that shouldn't be possible to with today's cars anymore however today we have other ways to break into a car like uh, replicating keys or key signals being the man in the middle between a key signal. But what I want to say here is actually, so we have made improvements in security because like the old fashioned, very easy way of breaking to the car is not, no longer possible. Now we have new ways that still are possible and you can still do it with like maybe a hundred dollars and devices from eBay. And we have seen it in the wild, right? But um, it's still more secure than without these new uh, wireless keys, I would say. 
this is maybe very tangible when I now transfer it to developing a safety system. Think about a blind spot assistant that is like really telling you there's someone in, in the lane besides you. That thing is actually saving lives on the streets. If you delay that from a security perspective, you actually bring it later to the market, possibly having people lose their lives. And you have to think about that. What is actually the reason for delaying that? Uh, is the security issue actually so much relevant that you want to do that? So uh, I, I think we elsewise become very risk avoided, have high risk avoidance here. The risk is on, on all the sides and you have to bring it into the product. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense and, and, and very difficult to implement, as you, as you yes. said to yourself. Following up on that, a more general question, what advice would you give product security teams that are just starting out? As I started with, with, with my last story, I think uh, working side by side with the developers, that is actually key. I mean that actually even regarding office spaces, right? Sit next to your developers, uh, talk to them. And not only asking them if you need some uh, description on how they implement the measure, but actually working with them is very a very effective way on building secure products, I think. So we have all these like secure development processes, of course, and the developers get trained in, in security measures. We have quality gates, all that stuff. But it's, in general, I would say more effective if your developers directly work with the security guys and both understand each other in a very yeah very collaborative way here and and the second advice i would give is you should assign clear accountabilities on your security team what is the security team actually accountable for what are the processes and capabilities your product team needs from your security team so to what extent do they provide specific input for for the development process, provide the hardware, the, the infrastructure, maybe the development tools or environments, and then having that actually set up as a real organization between um, the developers and, and the product team and the product security team. If you have these accountability accountabilities, I think you can become very effective how you work. What would you say they should be looking for on the side of supply chain, the different components that they might be using in their development? Yeah. So I, I think also as a general thing to do, transparency is key. And you mentioned SBOM before being a good instrument on knowing what is in there in your in your software, knowing where it's coming from, controlling your repositories or controlling what is coming from public repositories. We have seen attack vectors like dependency confusion, for example, where you like basically have uh, malicious libraries in public repositories that would be taken by your development environment if you do not care for the right version that you want to have here. So transparency is key, of course, and that specifically is relevant for the software supply chain here. Excellent. So... What would you say are the key considerations for developing security architectures for high-profile companies and government institutions? When you do security architecture, I think you really need to understand the, the company you're working with and coming from a strategic and business perspective here. 
you have to understand the value streams, how the company is, is working. Is it a more R&D focused company? Uh, is it uh, operational? You, you need that knowledge to actually shape the capabilities of the security team you're going to develop with them. And that, that won't work if you set it up in a way that, for example, security team is only annoying R&D and there's no mutual understanding of, of where to go. Second part is really think it holistically. I, I know it's maybe a bit high level, but starting with people, process, and technology, like uh, who is accountable, who is a mandate for actually implementing the security and with what processes is the security then delivered using what technology. Coming especially to the technology part then, coverage is key. Look, look into coverage of what you actually do because you can have the best security solutions in place if it's not covering the crucial parts of your business yet, then it will break at some point. That is actually what I see also uh, with, with clients a lot that they might have good tools in place and, and they feel quite secure because they have good solutions, uh, work with the big vendors. But when you actually dig into the coverage and what the tools are securing, where, where it's implemented, then you find blind spots. And these are usually the, the paths that an attacker would use here. And that's across infrastructures usually. By the way, is there a difference in budgets between uh, that you're seeing between government institutions and companies when it comes to cybersecurity and how much they're willing to invest? Well, there's even difference in budgets between different companies, of course. So you cannot generalize here. There's, of course, different, I would say there's uh, different objectives and, of course, different uh, types or different things to secure. Companies usually spend a lot of money to stay operational and to have their like business secured while governments and we have seen that quite a lot also in Germany that public institutions get hacked um, and, and, and cities uh, city ma management systems get hacked of course they they also look in it, into it but they are much more compliance driven um, in that way and it's not not that technical often oftentimes. So we got to our final question, unfortunately, because this conversation has been really, really interesting. But that's a question we, we love to ask, which is what is the most amazing or hard to believe moment you have had in your career so far? That's actually, for me, it's a different, uh, a difficult question because uh, I'm a bit confidentiality bound here. So I cannot tell you exactly where something might have happened uh, that was shaping my career or was an amazing moment. Oh, it's okay. Life. We're under NDA. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we not just get all our listeners to sign as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, I would say in, in general, so there, there was a few instances, but one specific instance I was working with a client, which was first of all, a small, but very fast growing company, which made it exciting already. So, uh, their product was highly asked for. Uh, they had a hard time even like in the business keeping up with the demand by their customers. And of course, the rest of the business had, had to grow as well. And we certainly had to like 5x their security team. So there were a few people and we have to hire five times 
that amount of people. And we, uh, we agreed on that with the company that we need these people. And this really brought the transformation, the specific transformation we had with that company at a very high velocity environment, still very much innovation included in that. So we had to work closely with the business function and it was almost a greenfield approach. And this is what you actually don't see so much nowadays because most of the companies would have certain processes established. They would have technologies already and you're not in a situation where you can really build the overall security function from the ground up. And, and this was one of these rare cases, which was, which was really amazing. Like we were defining everything. We were hiring people, um, working from job descriptions to technology implementations. Um, we implemented many, many different technologies in all these areas, talking like uh, OT security, talking security operations, talking uh, identity and access management, many, many new technologies that we introduced there which made it very fast and very interdependent also in the transformational process. But it was, for me, it was quite amazing because you could really imagine how should this organization look like in the next five years. And this is what we're going to build now. Sounds incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is very rare, I imagine, and being able to see it and plan it and strategize it, but then implement it as well. Yes. Uh, was probably a great achievement. So with that ending, I, I want to thank you very much. This has been really, really insightful. I think you have a very unique perspective, uh, partly because you've seen these transformations from start to finish, but also because you have a very, very important, I think, focus on the business side. And that's something we don't hear about a lot in cybersecurity, and it's very much needed. So I enjoyed it immensely. So thank you for the time today. Yeah, I agree. It's one thing to hear cybersecurity people inside of organizations. It's another thing to hear someone who's taking an outside look at what they need and then actually executing on that and working together with the internal teams. It's something that I won't say it's unique. You know, there obviously PwC is doing this, uh, I think, across the globe pretty much. But it's something that gives us a very different perspective. And, and I really, we really appreciate you being on and, uh, and sharing that with our listeners. Yeah, thank you again for, for having me here. It was a pleasure and I really liked the conversation today. Great, thank you. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.